This podcast is a production of Community Covenant Church in Eagle River, Alaska, a place where real people meet a real God to live in a real world. For more information, check out our website at communitycovenant.net. Second Corinthians chapter 2, verses 5 through 17. If anyone has caused grief, he has not so much grieved me as he has grieved all of you to some extent, not to put it too severely. The punishment inflicted on him by the majority is sufficient for him. Now instead, you ought to forgive and comfort him so that he will not be overwhelmed by excessive sorrow. I urge you, therefore, to reaffirm your love for him. The reason I wrote you was to see if you would stand the test and be obedient in everything. If you forgive anyone, I also forgive him. And what I have forgiven, if there was anything to forgive, I have forgiven in the sight of Christ for your sake, in order that Satan might not outwit us, for we are not unaware of his schemes. Now when I went to Troas to preach the gospel of Christ and found that the Lord had opened a door for me, I still had no peace of mind because I did not find my brother Titus there. So I said goodbye to them and went on to Macedonia. But thanks be to God, who always leads us in a triumphal procession in Christ, and through us spreads everywhere the fragrance of the knowledge of him. For we are to God the aroma of Christ among those who are being saved and those who are perishing. To the one we are the smell of death, to the other the fragrance of life. And who is equal to such a task? Unlike so many, we do not peddle the word of God for profit. On the contrary, in Christ we speak before God with sincerity, like men sent from God. I'll make you a deal. <laughs> we'll just set aside thoughts and feelings and try to listen to God's word for a while. And then I'll, uh, I'll have some more things to say here at the end. How's that? Okay. Well, I don't know if you're with me or not on that. But, um, you know, when the, when the title of a, uh, of a message, today's, the title of today's message is, But I Digress. And so I feel like, man, I'm free to say just about anything right now. And I'm good. But I, have, I want to say this. I have a friend, a very dear friend, who is the master of digression. And maybe you have somebody in your life who's like that, that you're on topic and then they just start to pull the topic the other way. And here's my, here's my metaphors. Reel it in. We're fishing, buddy. Reel it in or I'm going to cut your line, you know. Or that is a bunny trail. And if we don't get back on track, I'm going to kill that bunny. It's it's a uh, we're, we got to get on to, on topic and what's going to happen today in this letter that Paul wrote to the uh, to the Corinthians and it's a letter and when people wrote letters we got chapters and verses now but this was a letter personal very personal it's Paul's mo- it's probably his most personal letter and then we're going to see that in the middle of this or in chapter two uh, towards the end of chapter two of this letter. He gets into a five-chapter digression, and it's in that digression that 
I would say, and many will say, that's the crown jewel of the letter. So with my friend, sometimes his digressions are the best part. It's a great story. It doesn't relate to anything that you're, you know, we're talking about, but somehow it, 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 comes, it helps things come alive. It's so interesting. So that's what happens in here. We're going to get into this uh, long digression that has to do, uh, you wouldn't believe it, but it has to do with the gospel. And if you didn't know this, one of my hmm, purposes for doing what I do is to get you immersed, reimmersed, uh, whatever, soaked in the gospel of Jesus Christ in a way where when you go to work tomorrow, you're preaching that to yourself. That's that's what I would want. You're preaching the gospel to yourself, and then that would spill out of you. So I want you to be great preachers to yourself. And what does it mean to preach the gospel? Well, here's how it works in, in just normal life is I can't do this. I am not capable of doing this. That is the starting point for spiritual advancement in your life. I can't do it. Can you believe that? Because the gospel is that God in you, Christ in you, can do it. Uh, it's I'm broken. I need to be fixed. I need to be healed. I need to be made well. Well, guess what? God can do that. That's his. That's where he's specialized. So we're, we're about the gospel. And uh, what I want to do here to get us started is give you a, a overview or a glimpse of Corinth. We were actually there. And uh, this is the main street of Corinth. Corinth uh, in the first century where Paul was writing to, he, he had actually been there uh, five years previous to this letter, roughly. And he, uh, part of that city, the city was, uh, think of Las Vegas today in our culture. It has that reputation. So, And then um, this is the main street, actually the main street, I believe, in Corinth. And then Patty really liked this picture. Isn't that, that's kind of cool, isn't it? You know, Poppy's there. And, uh, but it gives you, uh, there's some wonderful uh, beauty in the ruins. <laughs> beauty in the ruins. That'd be a great sermon title as well. But here we are on, but I digress. <clears throat> but I digress. Anyway. <laughs> All right. So um, there's Corinth, and uh, Paul had been there five years earlier, as I said, and he had planted uh, house churches there, but these house churches had big issues, big problems. And if you read 1 Corinthians and then 2 Corinthians, you, you'll read between the lines and you'll see that there's a problem between Paul and the church. Even though he planted them, or planted the church, and he was their founding pastor, uh, and he had gone away, but he had lived with them for 18 months, for a long time. He, they knew him, and there's issues. There's people, um, we'll pick up on this as we go along, but there's opponents of Paul who are polluting what he said, and they're attacking his authority. Now, if you're a Christian leader, and somebody attacks your authority, believe me, it hurts. I've experienced this, but you're kind of your hands are kind of tied because you can't fight back in normal ways, can you? I mean, you're, you're committed to the Lord Jesus Christ, who was attacked, his authority. I mean, talk about authority. And he was attacked. And, and we think of the image of the cross. And so when you're a Christian leader and somebody attacks you or disrespects you, I mean, it's not like, I mean, what do you do? So Paul's in an awkward situation. And he, he is trying to figure out a way, and you can see him struggling as well in, in these letters, to, to say, look, I, I do have authority. I'm an apostle. And um, you know how as a parent sometimes you just tell your kids, well, you do it because I said I'm your mom or I'm your dad. And you have that sort of attitude. You just do it. 
But then there's other times when you need to say, it's because I love you that I want you to do this, right? You do that. And Paul, in this letter, there's times where he kind of gets right up there using his authority, and then he backs off and he says, it's because I love you. It's because I love God and I love you that I'm doing what I'm doing. And he's got a bottom line there. So we'll pick up uh, on, on all of that in this letter. Now, uh, the image, I, I, I need to tell you this. This will be, you can see the jar up there. And actually, I, I keep saying this too. It, it's like this. This is, well, this is a, it's got a hole in it, so it doesn't work. But what is this? Okay, in chapter 4, and this becomes the, the central imagery that I'm going to use uh, during this digression, the way Paul defends his ministry primarily, and it's, it's just really good for someone like me, and I think for someone like you who's a preacher of the gospel to yourself and to others as well, that you think of yourself as a clay pot or jar that is not that extraordinary. In fact, this one's got... Uh, a chip in it here and all the rest. But what you contain is a treasure. And that treasure is the gospel of Jesus Christ. So that's what Paul says in chapter 4. I'm not anything special. Here's how you get around that awkwardness of using authority. I'm not anything special, but I have in me the most valuable stuff, the gospel that changes life and it can change your life. And so he, uh, we'll get into that in chapter 4, but I want to give you a hint as to where he goes in answering that question. Uh, the text before us, I'm going to start with uh, chapter 2, verse 5. And this is before the digression. And he, he had it read, but it has to do with a man who is there in Corinth who, you can tell, has hurt Paul. So Paul's the leader. He has all this authority. He's the one who planted the church. And this man is stirring up trouble, probably attacking Paul's reputation, probably saying things like, if Paul were so great, why is he always in trouble? You know, he's always in trouble. I mean, you talk about getting in trouble at school. Paul is in big trouble everywhere he goes because of this treasure that he has in him. He's just gotten thrown out of another town. We'll get to that in a little bit. So um, he sure doesn't look like an apostle. I mean, you think if somebody's from God, they'd act a little bit more, you know, whatever, apostolic. Um, And so you can guess that that's the kind of stuff that's going on. And he's stirring up trouble. And then so Paul has had to write another letter, which we don't have a copy of. And it's referred to here, but saying you got to take care of this guy. He's stirring up trouble and you need to discipline him. Well, the man has been disciplined and he has uh, repented or felt sorrow for his uh, whatever, whatever he's done, whatever he said. And now Paul is saying you need to forgive him. You can't hold that against him. You see, you see how Paul is. I mean, he's very relational. Don't hold that. I don't hold it against him. I forgive him. Forgive him. And then he closes that section out. And this is just plain good theology for us here right now. Right. I don't care who you are. He says, I have forgiven him uh, in the sight of Christ for your sake, in order that Satan uh, may not outwit us. For we are not unaware of his schemes. Is that true? Are, are you aware of his schemes? Are you aware uh, that there is an adversary, that Satan in the Hebrew means accuser? There is somebody who accuses and he loves to do that and that he has plans and schemes. And his primary scheme is to, here's, here, I can just say it, is to take you further from 
the gospel, further from the cross, more into yourself and into your hurt and into your self-righteousness and indignation. And guess what? Everyone in this room has been hurt by someone. And I'm sorry, I know I have hurt some of you. You don't do life without hurting people. How long is it when two people get up here and say, I do, before they have to forgive each other? How long is a minute? I mean, it's just, I mean, that's, it's, it's, you cannot have a relationship without forgiveness. That's why we call this a covenant of grace that we are in with God. It assumes that you're going to mess up and you're going to need to be renewed in that forgiveness. So what Satan wants to do is to, and he loves to do this with religious people. Religious people are the best at walking away from the cross because we have a heightened sense of what is right and what is wrong, do we not? I mean, we kind of, that's something we do. We know the Ten Commandments. I won't ask you, don't worry, because you probably, <laughs> well, I think I know them. But at any rate, but you, 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 we, we know what's right and wrong. And so when we see somebody do something wrong, we think, Tisk, 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 right? We're so good at that. And in doing that, we walk away from the cross. What Satan's schemes are is to get us, he, strateg I'm, he strategically thinks of how he can get us to walk away from the cross, which is the center of the gospel. He wants to thwart the gospel in your life. This treasure that is in, the, is in this jar of clay. Okay, so now here's, that's before the digression. And now he's going to begin to talk about his plans to come to see them. Remember, this is just like if you were writing a letter and you were going to have plans to come and visit somebody. Um, he'll, uh, so let me get this map up here first. And he, in his plans, he begins to talk about how he just left Ephesus. Do you know why he left Ephesus? You can read about it in Acts chapter 19. There was a riot there. He just barely escaped with his life. And this is Paul's life. And you talk about excitement. You might not want that exciting of a life, but that's where he's left from. And he goes to Troas up to the north, which is in uh, this is modern day Turkey, right near Troy. And then uh, he talks about then not having a peace about that. And then he goes over probably to Philippi, but it, it says Macedonia. And uh, we know that he has uh, warm friends in Philippi. And then the yellow line is that's the letter. He's writing a letter and uh, that's this letter that we have. But he needs to get a report first. I want to show you why this is such an interesting digression. And so I'm going to read to you from... Uh, now, I, I'm interested in this kind of stuff, and I really want you to be. So come on, be with me on this, all right? This is, I just find this so interesting. Now, when Paul, Paul says, Now, when I went to Troas to preach the gospel of Christ and found that the Lord had opened a door for me, see, he left Ephesus and gone to Troas, I still had no peace of mind because I did not find my brother Titus there. Uh, Titus is the one who's going to bring a report to Paul from Corinth that things are either really good or really not good. So uh, he's anxious to see Titus. So I said goodbye to them and to whoever there was in Troas, and he went on to Macedonia. Okay, that's, that's the verse that was read for us out of chapter 2. And then there's this great digression that we're in right now from 2.14 to 7.4. And so we pick it up. You could you could just imagine if you took this digression out that it just flows. It just like chapter two to chapter seven. It's like he never left off. That's where you know. I mean the the bunny trail. The bunny is back. The fish is in the net. So he says, for when we came into Macedonia, this body of ours had no rest. He's tired. 
I mean, you can tell he's you know, all the things that have happened. But we were harassed at every turn. Conflicts on the outside, fears within. But God, who comforts the downcast, comforted us by the coming of Titus. So you could just linguistically, some of you are into the, the way uh, logic flows linguistically. I mean, maybe two of you in the whole room here. But uh, anyway, you can see how this thing just flows out. And then in between is this great digression where Paul just goes on and on about the gospel. And is he ever going to get back on track? Well, here's where he gets back on track. So what we're going to do is explore that great um, digression. All right, you with me so far? I want you to see that. That's, uh, there's a test when we're done. You're going to have to get this. All right. Um, the digression itself. And you're saying, well, this better be good. You sure talked it up. It is. Um, verse 14. Paul says, now, or but, thanks be to God who always leads us in triumphal procession in Christ and through us spreads everywhere the fragrance of the knowledge of him. That's a beautiful uh, phrase, isn't it? So what we want to do is figure out what does this triumphal procession look like? I want to get this in your head. Think Bear Paw Festival. No, don't. But that just to get you, that's a digression. That's just to get you, what, or a parade that you have seen. What you want to think about is a, here's the picture, that the Roman army that has been led by a famous general of some kind, or he's become famous now, is parading through Rome, and the general is the one who is out front, and he is decorated. He's got, you know, whatever it is that says he's, you know, he's the guy. And then you've got behind him are the conquering soldiers, the guys that did all of the hard work. You know, generals never do anything. I hope there's no generals in the room. But anyway, they get all the glory and everybody else does. That's what my dad told me anyway. So, yeah. Anyway, so, you know, that's, that's the impression I got. Anyway, uh, and then behind that you have the spoils and the booty that, that were conquered by this army. And then this is the part I want you to pay a special attention to. Behind that are the prisoners that were taken. And these prisoners are, just think of uh, men who just really look like losers. They're in chains and they're, they have a, they know this, that their destiny is a public execution. And on the way to that, the crowds are mocking them, spitting on them, calling them names, all the rest. That's the last group that comes through. Now that's a, and they're, they're in history, they're in, in Rome itself, there are recorded over 350 of these triumphal processions. That's a lot. So they're into that. When Paul talks about a triumphal procession being led by Christ, and thanks be to God and all the rest, who always leads us in triumph, in a triumphal procession, that's what he, I mean, everybody would know that's what he's talking about. It's part of the Roman Empire. Uh, is part of the common knowledge that you would have in that day. Uh, so Josephus, uh, who is a first century, let's see if I can get his yeah quote. He's a first century, uh, he would have been an eyewitness to this. He's actually Jewish, but very friendly towards Rome. Interesting guy, um, a historian who wrote a lot of stuff down. It is impossible to describe the multitude of the shows as they deserve 
and the magnificence of them all. That's, he's talking about a triumphal procession. I just want you to know this is real history. It's rooted in, in, in the history. It's what Paul is referring to here. But not everybody gets it on the first pass, so I'm going to give you some pictures here. This is from um, the Arch of Titus. Now, Titus in the Bible is this totally different guy. This is one of the emperors of Rome. And he is famous, interestingly enough, for conquering Jerusalem in 66 A.D., which is when the temple in Jerusalem was destroyed. He's the Roman general. And so he would have had a uh, procession like we were just talking about. Well, they they actually built. So 15 years later, they built the Arch of Titus. And on there are uh, pictures and inscriptions referring to this great battle that he won over the Jews. And, And so they celebrate that and they would march through there. So you got that? Okay, just a little more contemporary here uh, from anybody. Well, I tell anybody know where that is. Come on. I gave it away, didn't I? The Arc de Triomphe. And if you've been to Paris, certainly you have seen that. And that was to celebrate the great victories of Napoleon, a little guy with a big ego. And uh, he conquered most of Europe and then it all fell apart. But they will, they want to celebrate. They have a memory there in France of the glorious past. So we, we do this today, and we do it in many ways. We might have a sports team that comes to the White House. You don't see the, the losers in the White House. You just see the, the people that win the Super Bowl or whatever. But here's another, some more arches that you might find familiar. There you go. <laughs> there you go, the golden arches. This is the first McDonald's from 1953. That's it right there. How many burgers have they, have they been victorious? How many billion burgers? The only little history, but the only one who has surpassed them is a guy from Eagle River, Alaska named Crandall Randall. And um, (laughs) more burgers. More burgers. But I digress, right? That's totally irrelevant. All right. But we, the, the idea is that you get, a, you get a sense that we, no matter what culture you're in, no matter what time you're in, you want to be on the side of the winners. You want to celebrate those who are triumphant. Now, here's the question, and this is, your answer to this question will determine whether you really are getting this or not, whether you understand Paul or not. In that procession where you have the general and then you have the, the victorious soldiers and you have the, the spoils and the booty, and then you have those who are condemned to die. Where does Paul place himself? Hmm. Guess what? He's in the back. That's where Paul identifies himself with. Why does he go there? A little hint. Who's he imitating? Paul is imitating Christ. And that's where Christ went. He's the one who was condemned to death, who was spit upon, who was mocked and who took all that stuff on himself. And now, I mean, this is the, the, the strange. He's, he is triumphant and we can follow him. But Paul says, I'm following him from back here as one condemned to die. I am a slave to Christ. And the reason Paul is saying that is because in verse 17, it says, unlike many, we are not peddlers of the word of God. You see, there's other people. And sadly to say, other these are Christian leaders who are coming into Corinth and stirring up trouble. And Paul is having to respond to all of this. He's he's his authority is questioned, but it's not about his authority. It's authority. It's about him being a clay jar with his treasure. And he's so much into the treasure that he can't stand it when that treasure gets threatened by anybody. I mean, he loves these people, right? 
So Paul is, is saying there is a there. And people are saying, well, look at him. How could he be victorious? I mean, like I said, he got thrown out of Ephesus. If you look at his life, he's always getting in some kind of trouble. How can that be victorious? And Paul says, well, we need to redefine what glory is. And so one of our key words in this in this digression is the word glory. And Paul, what Paul discovers is that there is a glory in the cross. Now, you have to get this. There is a glory in the cross. Now, I'm going I'm, I'm to say something that's totally, totally, totally not in my notes. And it just came to me. But, and I don't mean, I never want to say anything about any other church. But the, the, if there's a cross that's 200 and some feet high in this city, I hope it's not glorious. In that sense, I mean, in in the sense of of being big and flashy and and all the rest, the cross of Christ is not big and flashy. There is a glory in the cross that has to do with blood and sweat and human excrement and all of the rest. And there's a glory in it. Now, I want you, I, I want me, I want us to understand this kind of glory that Paul is talking about. There is a glory in the arms of Jesus spread wide for you. Offering embrace, offering forgiveness to people like us. You know that God only loves imperfect people. And he's offering that to you. There's a glory in the the, uh, glorious, glorious, glorious eternal God coming into our world as a man, as a baby, and then living out his life and and offering himself up, giving himself up to us, for us, because of his love. There is a glory in that. But it is not the glory that you'll see in the glitziness of wherever. In fact, some people would say it's ugly, that glory. This is where the cross divides. It, It really does. Paul says here that there, there is a, an aroma that is produced by this gospel that he's proclaiming. And that aroma will, sw- will smell sweet to those who are alive in Christ. And it will smell as death or a stench to those who are not. So, I mean, and he's embracing this other kind of glory fully by saying, I'm, I'm back here. I'm in the back of the procession. But it's not because I want to be there. It's because that is where I am out of my love for you and out of my love for God. And there is a different kind of glory. Well, my dad, you know, was, uh, well, maybe some of you don't know. He was in, in World War II in the South Pacific in some horrendous battles at Peleliu and then Okinawa. And a lot of it was the weather. So think of, as opposed to, to the European, my, you know, he, he would tell me why, why the, you know, the real men were in the Pacific, you know. I mean, my dad had that kind of, he was a Marine and, you know, a little bit of that stuff. Yeah. But, but the real battles, the real battles were, you know, in his mind, they were in the, in the Pacific. Well, I don't want to get into that argument. But, uh, but what he says is that, that the, it was so hot. They were on... Uh, the Battle of Peleliu was on September 15th is when it started, and the temperatures were 115 degrees. Now, you imagine the stench. There's a lot of death. A lot of his people he knew that were killed. I mean, the casualty, you just read about it. And he said there was such a stench of death. And you, and you think about that and the paradox of that, and he didn't come out and say it this way, but he hinted at it that 
there's, there's such a tragedy in the fact that the people who were willing to lay down their lives were the ones who were stinking the worst. They were dead. They gave their life. Now, do you see a glory? You can read that two ways. You can just complain about how much it smells, or you can see a glory in what they did. That's the kind of glory we're talking about here. It's the aroma of life to those who are being saved, and it's the aroma of death to those who are not. That's what the gospel is about. The effect. Okay. Are you into this digression just a little bit? I hope you are. This is a little bit of application, and then we'll close. Um, Back to the man earlier, before Paul got off track, and I'm, you know, I don't think he got off track. I think everything he wrote was perfect. But, but before he got off track on this little long five-chapter uh, bunny trail, he talked about a man who needed to be forgiven. Now, how, if you, if you think, how is that going to happen? I mean, maybe this isn't a digression after all. Because what they're going to have to do, these people... They are going to have to go from the front of the procession, if I can put it that way, and go back into that place where those who are condemned to death are and either take that man's place or say, would you come on up here? You see what I'm, you see how this relates to that? That it's about forgiveness when you go into that place. There are people in your life, I'm guessing, perhaps, there's somebody in your life that you have condemned to the back of the procession. And will you go back there and bring them out? Here's why. Because Christ, he was there, but he's not there. right? He's leading the procession now, but Christ went there. He went back there for you. He was one condemned. Well, you were condemned. I'm condemned to death. I have no righteousness of my own. I do not. I am a clay pot at best that carries a treasure. That is the best thing I have to offer. Keeping the main thing the main thing, that's the best thing I can do. It's about the treasure. And Christ is the treasure. He goes back in there. He takes our place. Each and every one of us. None of us has not been in the back. To go there for us because he loved us. That's the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, if there's somebody in your life, I want to just, this is my application. If there's somebody in your life today that you have condemned to the back of the procession, can you just realize, first of all, that Jesus went there for you? And will you go there for someone else and forgive them? Now, forgiveness is gooey, mushy, and hard, not mushy, it's hard. It's really, really complicated. And there's all kinds of things that you need to consider. But there's all, let me tell you this. I've been around, I've been doing what I've been doing for a long time now. Call it life or whatever. But there's, if I can just say, there is always, always, always a reason to not forgive another human being. I've never found a situation where there wasn't a reason to not forgive. And I think I've heard them all, but I'm not, I probably haven't. So I'm, I'm just saying, look, look deeper. Look at what this is about. Look at what Christ has done for you and how much you have been forgiven. And then will you go there for someone else? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the truth that we find in the scriptures that define life for us. So, Lord, here's my prayer and maybe for all of us. Search my heart, O oh Lord. Am I a gospel person? Am I living out of this treasure? Am I willing to go for another where you went for me? 
to see and experience a kind of glory that is so unique and so different. Come, Lord, and fill, fill me. Fill me, Lord, with yourself. Help me. Fix me. Heal me. Do whatever you need to do in me, Lord, that the gospel of grace would be that which I treasure and which is above all else in my life. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.